This is ACB Media, the broadcast home of the ACB 2022 Conference and Convention. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome, everybody. This is Carl Richardson. I am the co-chair of the Audio Description Project, along with Kim Charleston. Today, we're going to be talking about self-description in terms of audio description. Is it enough or is it too much? And we're going to give you perspective from the blindness community, as well as a couple of academic perspectives uh, later on in the presentation. But first, you know, as we know, in the last few years, there has been um, an, an explosion of People doing self-description during media events and meetings and cultural events. And we just thought we would gather today to discuss the varying perspectives on self-description. We're going to start with, well, first, let me tell you who the six panelists are. So we have Gabriel lopez Cafati, who is down in Miami, Florida, where I understand it's slightly warm right now. And he is the president of the Blind Pride Gay Lesbian Transgender Group. Forgive me if I got that wrong, but he, he's, <laughs> he's the president of that group and also on the Multicultural Affairs Committee. And Gable is a good friend of audio description and advocate in general. So we're very happy to have him here. Then we have Renee Arrington Johnson, who is a member of both the media committee for the audio description project and the steering committee and a strong advocate and has served formerly as an engineer and manager for General Motors for almost 40 years. And then we have Nora Nagel, who is um, a resident of Boston, Massachusetts. And I say that because I'm also a resident of Boston, Massachusetts. Nora is the 504 ABA coordinator at the Museum of Science in Boston, one of the leading science museums in the country. She is also a director in the Guide Dog Users of Massachusetts. And... Um, actively involved with both NFB Massachusetts and Bay State Council of the Blind in Massachusetts. Then we have Pat Sheehan, who is also involved in the audio description project and on the steering committee and the Section 508 committee, and is also a Section 508 coordinator for which agency? Forgive me, Pat, I don't remember the agency you work for. I won't come back to Pat. Um, but he's a Section 508 coordinator for the government. And for those who don't know what Section 508 is, it's the rules and regulations that have to do with the accessibility of video and audio description. There's Pat now. Pat. Very good. Department of Veterans Affairs. You're correct, Carl. All right. Thank you, Department yes. of Veterans So Pat brings a, knowledge, a lot of knowledge and background himself. Then we have some guy, I don't know, maybe you heard of him, Dr. Joel Snyder, who is the author of, of, of a book called The Visual Made Verbal, which is a comprehensive book about the history and the background and the it's the it's the uh, audio description, and it's available on Bard and Bookshare for those who want to, um, and also available in multiple languages. And then we have Dr. Hannah Thompson, all the way from across the pond in the UK. I mean, Professor Hannah Thompson from the Royal Holloway University of London. She comes from the. Um, language, literature, and classic department, and, and we'll add some uh, culture, excuse me, and hopefully we'll add some culture to this proceeding. So um, we, we should have some good perspectives on self-description and how people in the blindness community feel about that. 
So first, we're going to start off with Renee. Renee, why don't you go ahead and tell us why uh, you feel uh, self-description is a good thing? Hi, everybody. Glad to be here. Um, my name is Renee, and I am a 60-plus Black female with dark brown hair with gray throughout. It's kind of natural, kinky, curly hair. I have brown eyes, a light brown skin, and a squarish, plump face. And I'm wearing some very big reading glasses. And I think it's a pink top, but I'm not the best guess of colors. Um, <laughs> I support self-description because I feel that it is part of being inclusive to people who are blind and low vision like myself. Um, I'm not the person that would say I want a big, crazy description. I think it's good to keep this description short to the point. Um, I think of describe myself as important and knowing what other people look like is important because when I'm sitting in a Zoom meeting or in a conference room or something like that, I feel like that's information that everybody else has. And if everybody else has it, everyone else has that information, I would like to have the same information. And when I think of all the explosion of Zoom meetings and we have webcams turned on, I'm like, why do we have cameras turned on if that visual information is not important? So that is one reason why I think that self-description is important. Um, another thing about describing myself, I described what you see right now in the camera. If I was to put up my still shot of myself and my guide dog, I would have described that because that's what everyone else would have been seeing in this meeting. But if I was in a conference room, I would have described myself in the conference room, including my stature. Uh, that's my perspective on what self-description uh, would look like in a world that I think it's giving me the kind of information that I would want. When I think of self-description, I think of describing what's seen, but I think of it separately from describing who I am. And I know some people might have a different um, perspective on that. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what other people have to say about that, because I'm really not sure about how those two things should work together. You know, whether or not you want to describe who you are and what you look like at the same time, because I think back to being at conferences and workshops and people say, introduce yourself, Renee. Carl gave a little bit of an introduction of me saying that I worked for General Motors. And I did. I, I'm an engineer. I worked for General Motors for 40 years. Um, I spent my last 12 years as the chair of our People with Disabilities Employee Resource Group. I've been retired for five years. I am spend my retirement doing advocacy work. That's who I am. And the description was what I look like. Uh, but I don't know. Some people might think of those two things together. And I'm, as I said, I look forward to hearing what people have to say. But that also kind of leads me to my other point on why I feel self-description is important. Um, when people hear me describe myself, they're going to think naturally you get one perspective of who I look like. Then when you hear me describe who I am, uh, that might change your perception or it might not. But that is something that is critical to me as far as why self-description is important. And my reason being behind that, I, um, I can give you an example. I had a conversation with a nurse. I was sitting in my doctor's office and I was having a conversation with a nurse who happened to be a woman and Asian. And we were talking about a lot of things, our families, and we started talking about our children and our hopes for our kids and their futures. 
And then some of the things, the, the, the difficulties that they might face because of who they are or who they look like. And she told me when she was pregnant <laughs> and she's married to a man who's white. And she told me when she was pregnant, her husband told her, I really hope the baby looks like you. And she said in her mind, and I'm pointing to my head, <laughs> all she could think of is that I hope the baby looks like you because she didn't want that child to have the same experiences that she does. And it's sad to think that someone would have to think that way. Um, but it makes me understand that what you look like is relevant in so many things in the world today. It's relevant in whether or not you get a loan for your house and how much money they put as equity on your home. It's relevant in how you are treated in your career. It's relevant in how you're treated in social settings. It's relevant in the type of care you get into a medical facility. So for me, I know that how people look is not the sole discerning factor of what kind of person they are, but it does have an impact on their life and experiences and whether or not they can understand the life experiences of someone else who may or may not look like them. Um, so when I'm sitting in a room, in a conference room, on a Zoom meeting, uh, in a hospital, in a social setting, I want to know who's in the room and I want all the information so that I can read the room. Unfortunately, just like they're reading me. Wow, I don't even know where to go with that. I guess the question I will ask, if you hear people self-describe themselves while you're in a meeting, you think it allows you more to be able to read the atmosphere of the room and know what, how to approach the meeting? It gives me the information to know if I, unfortunately, have to have my guard up. That's fair. Gabriel, do you want to um, share us your perspective? And by the way, if any of the other panelists have questions, please let's make this more of a, a roundtable. If anybody wants to add in and make it an open-style conversation, I am open to that. So go ahead, Gabriel. Okay, thanks, Carl. <clears throat> Thank you, everyone, uh, joining us and listening on ACB Media or a future podcast. Uh, as Carl said, I'm Gabriel Lopez Cafati. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I am a mid-40s male. <clears throat> uh, I have uh, small facial features, um, Hispanic fair skin with freckles, uh, shaved head. I have a light gruffy beard, which is streaks of brown and red. I'm wearing a... Uh, pair of glasses that resemble like a geeky nerd kind of glasses um, with a very thick frame. And I have a white polo shirt that has um, a collar with uh, the rainbow colors or, you know, the pride flag around the collar. Self-description. Uh, to me, I come from a perspective of uh, going down to the basics, which is the ADA. And the ADA, uh, the spirit of the legislation is to level the playing field. So I feel that if there are cited participants in a meeting or in a Zoom room with information of how everyone else looks, 
I like to be on that same playing field. I like to have that information. And I think it's valuable because it, it puts, it's puts, it puts us on a, on a, on an equal footing. Now, what we do with that information is uh, very personal. It's, you know, some people may not care about the information. Some people may have uh, a lot of curiosity, <laughs> but the point is that the information should be available for us. And uh, in terms of self-description, the, the idea I, I try to be whenever I do it and whenever I expect it, I expect it to be very objective and um, something that gives people information as far as, you know, a combination of physical traits and also um, a little bit of what people are wearing because uh, I love, you know, fashion and I love, um, you know, sometimes, you know, like today I'm wearing a shirt that has a statement. It has a, it has a pride flag on the collar. So I like, you know, other blind people to know what I'm wearing. Um, and uh, it's on the same vein, I think it's also a matter of transparency because uh, humans, we are by nature curious. <laughs> so we're always going to wander, um, especially, uh, and, 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 and I need to uh, pause for a minute. I know that we have a huge, diverse uh, population in the blind community. There's many of us who have lost our vision later in life or gradually. There's the people who are born blind. But uh, speaking from my own perspective, as a person who lost uh, his sight later in life, I, I come from a very, I, I, my brain is still wrapped in a, in a, in a, in a very visual uh, kind of <laughs> universe. So my mind immediately wants to put a face to the voice. And rather than trying to play a guessing game or rather, you know, than going around and asking someone sighted, hey, how does that person, you know, just get the information straight from the source. And, uh, and also, I think that it gives a lot of information just in the way people describe themselves. Um, you can hear how, how proud they are of, of being who they are and how excited they are sharing with the world. Because we, I believe that, that we are all, you know, just different uh, shapes of beautiful, <laughs> that we're all different types of beautiful. And I think that is a gift that must be or should be shared with the rest of the world. And given that we live mostly our lives in a, in a uh, community with other blind people, then let's share that beauty with others. Now, I do have another perspective. Um, as uh, Carl said, I'm president of Blind LGBT Pride International. So we are the uh, LGBTQ plus affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. And um, uh, BPI has done a lot of work in terms of uh, pronoun usage, inclusive language. And on that same note, um, you may all have probably heard uh, the terms of androgyny, uh, non-binary, gender fluidity. So not to throw in all these big words in a panel about audio description or self-description, but this is very relevant for, for many members in our community because self-description is part of defining who they are. For example, if someone um, 
identifies as non-binary, they will tell you in a self-description environment that they, um, the, the characteristics that they will give you will, will help you understand what non-binary is. Or um, if someone's gender fluid and, you know, you have met them in a previous um, setting where they had, uh, before they had transitioned into their new gender or into their uh, preferred gender, uh, then they can, they are able to express that as well. And uh, that in and of itself puts the onus on the person itself rather than us trying to guess or just having thoughts of what does this person look like? What is this person? So self-identifying just like pronouns are important. Self-identification is also very important because it allows the person, him, her, or themselves to be able to let the world know, especially in a blindness uh, community, uh, let the world know how they perceive themselves and how they project themselves and how they describe themselves. And that is part of a person's identity. So that to me is of the utmost importance to be able to uh, have all that information. At the end of the day, I think it's uh, also a matter of information and a matter of being able to have the information that everyone else has. So again, it's putting ourselves on equal footing with our sighted uh, peers. So I know we've met, I think, at least twice in person, one at the DC mm -hmm. leadership, and I think in Reno, we also met. Yes, we have. If you look at me, you basically probably can tell I don't really care about my appearance. <laughs> not that I'm not proud of who I am as an individual. I'm very proud of who I am as an individual. Mm -hmm. But I don't really, appearance, it's not that important to me as saying as me. So what do you say when I say I don't care if you know what I look like? I don't care if you even know that I'm straight or gay or binary or non-binary. I just want to interact with you and have you figure out who I am as a person. I, I'm totally, totally, totally up for that because I think I think it's two things. Uh, you know, the uh, appearance is is one thing, and then who you are as a person. I will I will never make a judgment or assumption or uh, or any conclusion just based on your appearance. Um, uh, to, me, to me, it's just information. To me, it's just information. Okay. And, and even if you don't care about your appearance, I, I think that's that's a very valid way in which you can say, I'm just wearing a plain T-shirt because I don't care about my appearance. That's, you know, that's just information. Uh, I just think it needs, uh, you know, it needs to be objective. And um, in that okay. way, it, you know, you you get to know people, like you said, absolutely through interactions. But it's just a matter of having that information, whether, you know, the rest of the world does whatever they want or need to with the information that's that's up to them but the information putting it out there is is what i advocate for i guess i shouldn't say i don't care about my appearance obviously i don't <laughs> look like a bum but i mean it's not the motivating factor when i'm in a zoom meeting with someone do you know what i mean and, absolutely yeah yeah no definitely I, in the meeting that what matters is the essence and, and and what you're saying and i will also say that i'm starting to understand now with both you and renee as a straight white male Mm -hmm. 
it's not necessarily that important you guys know or not know that because I just assume everybody knows I am. Do you know what I mean? Or it doesn't matter. If you don't. I don't know. It's just an interesting perspective. It does. It does. But let me let me reverse to you, for example, um, if anyone can see me um, uh, in, in this in, on video. Um, and I don't know if anyone's described. Like I said, I'm Hispanic, fair skin with freckles. And, and red beard. <laughs> so many people, when I say my name and I say my name is Gabriel Lopez, I, I get a, okay. I get yeah. A, yeah, because people think that just by looking at me, they think that I'm that I'm white Anglo-Saxon or Anglo-American. So uh, because of my appearance, but um, so it goes the other way around, you know, you know, when you put your name, your name also uh, gives you part of like completes the picture of who you are. So people, you know, for example, when they see me, if they're sighted and then I say, my name is Gabriel Lopez, Cafati, they say Lopez, Hispanic. <laughs> you know? Okay. okay. All right. this Carl, this is Renee. Please. I have, can I have a question? Yeah, go ahead. Hey, Gabriel. Um, I didn't say my preferred pronouns. Is that something you feel should be part of my description? And, is, and am I not doing uh, justice by just saying that I'm a woman? Should I say, you know, no. she, her is my preferred pronoun? No, whatever, whatever you feel comfortable with, you know, the, the general assumption nowadays is if you describe yourself as a woman, uh, people will assume that your pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, but if you want to make sure, uh, I just say it because I feel that, um, that it's, it's, it's something that, uh, in, in the LGBTQ community, it's something that is used a lot because people, uh, like I said, have, have specific identifications. And I think it's, it's better to say it than to, uh, put that onus on people to just yes. assume or know. Just yeah. because you sound like a man that my pronouns are he, him, his. Yeah. And nobody's going to know who I am by my name. Renee Arrington Johnson's got you all messed up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything else to add? Uh, no. Uh, I mean, I think the only thing to add, I would I would say... Um, Carl, and you made me think of this. Uh, actually, I, I, I do agree with you. It's the essence, what matters and what you say, what matters in a meeting. But, you know, there's also sometimes these days, and especially us in the nonprofit field, we, you know, some of the information that we gather through description, like, um, you know, race, ethnicity, gender, gender identification can, can, can go a long ways into also um, showing you know, having the numbers and the information of the diversity of our group and the diversity of the meetings and the diversity of the groups which, with which we gather and which we associate. And that's, you know, I think that's very valuable today. You know, what's interesting now that you say that is, so I grew up, I, I've, I've already, I haven't done a self-description of myself because I'm always uncomfortable when doing it. And <laughs> part of that is, number one, I grew up in a Protestant white culture where you don't necessarily bring attention to yourself in that way, okay? And and so it's a cultural thing. Well, you know, I'm a male, five foot ten, slightly overweight, with salt and pepper black hair. Many people, for those who know what I can't remember his name, Joe. Who's the guy on Broadway? I look a lot like yeah, Nathan Lane. There we go, Nathan Lane. <laughs> but I've been taught you know, not to bring attention to yourself in terms of, of, of 
I mean, I would love attention, so don't get me wrong. But in terms of describing yourself, you know, um, I guess I've been taught, so it goes against how I was raised and taught, let other people decide who you are based on who you see. So it's just an interesting thing. Nora, I know that you and I have talked about this, and I, I have similar feelings to Nora. So Nora, why don't you give your perspective on self-description? I, I think it's interesting having listened to the previous commenters. I, so I work in a museum. When we train people to do description for blind and visually impaired visitors, one of the things that we say constantly, and this goes for science, this goes for art, this goes for anything, be objective. Don't place any value judgments or, or make any assumptions about anything. And one of the things that I've heard in all of the different self-descriptions is a combination of objectively visible information and subjective or hidden, not obvious information that, that the describers want to share with their audience. So if somebody was doing a visual description of somebody with a darker skin tone, they wouldn't necessarily make an assumption about the person's ethnic background. They would describe the person's skin tone and not say this person appears to be African or this person appears to be from the Indian subcontinent of Asia. Uh, same thing with, say, uh, a, an Asian person. They may describe objective facial features but not make an assumption about that person's ethnicity. And then when you're in meetings, people choose to share that information, but that goes beyond an objective self-description. And so it's sort of, I think what's been happening in meetings and, you know, it is what it is, is that people are using what was initially presented as self-description. And I do think that, that audio description is meant to be objective, um, it, when you're listening to audio description, you're not told by the describer how you should think or feel about this person. Um, you're given factual, objective information, and then you can make that judgment or, you know, make assumptions that you may want to make. Um, so something that initially started as a way to make meetings more accessible to participants who are blind and low vision has morphed into this way of people laying on the table things that they want to lay on the table right at the beginning of the meeting. It's kind of an interesting, you know, and it, some people think it's good. Some people don't. It's, you know, it's totally up to you, but I think it's, it's not just self-description it's it's a lot more than that. You're not just describing yourself objectively. You're giving all sorts of information about yourself that you not only want the blind and low vision participants in the meeting, but the other participants in the meeting to know about because the things that are being said are not necessarily things that the people with 20-20 vision participating in the museum would be able to assess based on just looking at you on a Zoom screen. So I, I'm, I just think it's it's interesting how it's morphed over the last two years. And I don't know that that's sort of my perspective on it. So that's interesting because I, a minute ago we heard, and then I do want to get Patrick in the other time. So we'll be real quick, but a minute ago 
I heard Gabriel said part of self-description should be also, in some cases, an option gender. But you're saying a sighted person, just by looking somebody on Zoom, may not know whether that person, the he, she, or they, how they identify themselves until they interact. So Yes. Uh, and they may not know somebody's gender. They may not know somebody's sexual preference. They're not going to know somebody's uh, ethnicity or ethnic background. Okay. That's an interesting perspective. Um, there's, there's a lot to think about here. There um, is. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm thrilled to have all of you because I think you're all doing a great job. Um, does anybody have any questions for Nora and her perspective? I'll just say real quick, I am an ADA coordinator just like Nora is. And so I also come from her perspective a little bit. But I will say Renee and Gabriel have opened up my eyes a little bit today. So I'm not sure what I'm going to think. <laughs> so, uh, Patrick, I'm suspecting that since you work for the government, that your point of view may or may not be similar to Nora to mine. And you are quite correct, Carl. Um, however, I will also agree with you that I appreciate uh, the, the, the perspectives that, that we've heard, you know, uh, from Renee and, and Gabe. Um, particularly when we talked about uh, when you, you brought up uh, being able to read a room and being able to understand what's going on in a room. Um, one of the, I, I, when I'm come back from meetings <clears throat> that I'm in, I will very often ask somebody who attended the meeting with me who cited what were the visual cues that I missed because that's information. And I find that's important because there's a lot of things that can go on, like people rolling their eyes or people scribbling or people not paying attention. And all of that adds to the information that I can't get from a meeting. And sometimes that's the most important. That's pretty important. But that's not necessarily self-description. That's body language. That's going on. Yeah. My background, yes, but my background is uh, in the federal government, is that in many of the meetings that I'm in, uh, that, that I attend or attend through Zoom, uh, it's pretty academic and pretty clinical. So I am interested very much in what an individual, for instance, if it's a, a video or something like that, we will get the individual's name, we will get their title, and that's what's important. What's focused on is more what the information is and what uh, and how people are presenting that information, the arguments that they're making, they're trying to convince a room of X, Y, Z, and moving forward with respect to that. That's the perspective that I've grown up with. And Carl, very much like you being, you know, growing up in Massachusetts, Irish Catholic and all that, uh, I don't focus on myself. So my, my physical appearance is not what is critical. It's not what is critical to me. I lost my sight in, in my 30s. Uh, so I, you know, visually I understand all of that. But when I'm speaking to individuals, I'm trying to connect with them through my words, uh, through, through my intonation. Uh, and, and so what I look like, I don't, I don't find that important. I, I, I find that does not add meaning to what I'm delivering as far as a presentation, as far as a speech. But I will say, I will say that the Gabriel and, and Renee, we don't come from a population that was 
if you take aside our disability, if you take the blindness away, we don't come from a population that is marginalized strictly on our appearance. So that is something that I, do you know what I mean? I mean, Gabriel may or may not look Hispanic and gay. I don't know. But others might. Renee probably does look like an African-American. Am I wrong, Renee? If somebody saw you, they would know you're a person of color. And then they would make automatic judgments. So oh, they didn't know. Yeah, okay. So so it's just interesting. I don't know. And I'm not sure where this plays. It's just something that I'm, I'm it's just something that you and I, both we come from a profession where we want to get to the point. But we also come from a population where we may have had a certain amount of privilege that others did not. So I, it's just something to think about. Right. And certainly when I'm in meetings, Carl, uh, and I'm sure as you are in the office and you're sitting around a, a conference table, uh, people are doing exactly that. They're getting to the point. They may identify themselves. They may not. I find that very helpful because I can't always get the voices. Don't always know who's speaking. Right. So that's important for me to know who's speaking. Perhaps it's important for me to know beforehand what their position within the organization is, because that will um, okay. usually deem some res some respect that one person will get over somebody else. But very, uh, you know, very often it, it's more about the argument, the intellectual, the project that you're working on, the intellectual right. arguments that you're making. And so I've just found that uh, going into a, uh, a discussion. Uh, it's very much less with respect to what I look like rather than how I'm presenting and what I have to offer as far as what I have to say. Um, okay, good. Any questions for Patrick? Because I want to make sure we give time to uh, Joel and, and Hannah, and then we open it up for questions if there's time. Okay, Joel or Hannah, who wants to go first? Oh, ladies first, please. Okay. Uh, Hannah, Professor Thompson, why don't you go ahead, please? Okay, thank you. This is a really fascinating um, subject. I'm um, I'm a white woman in my late, very late forties. Um, I have long blonde hair with grey streaks of grey, and I'm wearing very thick glasses, purple glasses, and a purple headset. I'm partially blind, and I'm a AD user. And also I research um, on um, audio description as part of my my academic work. And um, a couple of years ago, I co-wrote a report called Describing Diversity about um, description in theatre. And on the back of that, we created a, an inclusive audio description forum um, and we asked the forum. So it was made up of describers, users and theatre professionals. And we asked them about self-description. Um, and and we, we, on the back of that, we created a guide on how to self-describe to make meetings more inclusive. Um, and I'm, I'm uh, from my my own experience and from discussions with that forum. I have to say that I agree with Rene and Gabe on the issue of description. I think um, self description is really important uh, for a, for a number of reasons. And the first one is to do with something that Rene actually said when she said, "Why do we always have our cameras on if visual information isn't important?" Um, I'm actually a big advocate of camera off, um, but 
uh, you know, I, the directives where I work say that, you know, in, in terms of it's better to engage with people to, when you have your camera on. And so therefore, there's a kind of sense that the visual is important. If the visual is important, then it, it needs to be described um, because if something isn't described, if it's not spoken, it becomes invisible. And what tends to happen then is that people in the room assume a default. They assume that everyone in the room looks like the majority of people in the room. So unless people like Gabe and Renee state their skin color, for example, then there is a, a real danger that their um, diversity, their, the, 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 the kind of the diversity of the room vanishes and uh, the kind of white majority in, in, in that case um, is assumed to, to occupy all the positions. And this is a, this is a real danger because it, it leads to erasure, it leads to miss, miss or underrepresentation. And it means that people in marginalized groups don't know that there are people like them in positions of power, for example, or in, in you know, leading meetings. So I, I, I absolutely, I mean, I, I spend a lot of my time in meetings and it would be very, you know, you could spend the whole meeting self-describing and I, I could absolutely understand how that would be annoying. But at the same time, I feel like because of the issues, because you can't, because someone's name doesn't tell you key information necessarily, it can, but it might or it might not, because sighted people or non-blind people um, have access to a lot of visual information that they can then decide whether to take into account or not. And as Rene so brilliantly described, you know, there's a choice. People have a choice about how much uh, importance they give to appearance. And, you know, I hope, I hope that I kind of, you know, uh, move beyond appearance and, and go to someone's essence, go to their soul. But there are situations where there is a power imbalance because of appearance, and it's important that everyone in the room is aware of that happening. And if if um, if important visual information isn't included, then I don't think that happens. Um, related to this, I'd like to just come back to a point that Nora made about objectivity in audio description. Now, um, I've been doing a lot of work to challenge the uh, notion that I would, I would argue, false notion that audio description can be objective. And I know Joel's going to disagree with me here. Um, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm a linguist. I work with language. I work between English and French. And I know that every word we choose to use is chosen for a reason. It might appear objective to you, but everything you say... Uh, is dictated by your history, by your education, by your family, by your life experience. And so uh, the beauty and the excitement of language and of humanity's use of language is that it's not objective. And so pretending that audio description can be objective, I would say is quite misleading um, because it doesn't take into account the plurality of human experience um, and the, the kind of diversity of experience. And so I don't think self-description, therefore, can be objective um, or should be objective. I think we should instead celebrate and acknowledge 
positionality. That is that everyone has a position which is different. That, you know, if I asked um, 10 sighted people to describe me, they would all come up with a different description because everyone sees things differently and everyone, there's no right answer. You know, language is subjective. Sight, seeing is subjective too. So let's, I would say, embrace that through um, speaking out loud, speaking difference out loud. As an academic, I'm assuming you use literature to support a lot of your beliefs or arguments or hypotheses. Is there literature in the world of audio description to say that diversity in audio description is a good thing? Um, yeah, I can point to some references that says that. Uh, I mean, I was taught, certainly in the work in the in the in the work I did with theatres um, showed that people who were given more information about cast, the appearance of cast members had a more meaningful, memorable and immersive experience. I don't actually think, I don't know of any, any research on, on self-description. I think that would be a really good PhD project. Um, oh. Thank you for giving me that idea. I think I need to go away and, and plan that okay. because it, so that, it will be fascinating. So Professor Thompson, I would argue that me going to the theatre and hearing how the cast members are described is different from self-description in the medium. I do want to hear what the people look like and what their appearance is because it does drive to the telling of a story, the characterization of a story versus me having a meeting and trying to get an agenda done. But don't you think there's always a story happening at a meeting? And it's, um, it's, a sto- it's, a, it's about humans relating to other humans and to understand how people relate to each other you need to understand you know who they are what they look like I I think it was again Rene who said it's about non not it's about blind people understanding what kinds of judgment sighted people might be making about someone it doesn't mean we, we agree or disagree it just means that we you know we kind of say there's a chance this 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 might be happening. This this appearance might be influencing something, and I want to know that. Sorry, Patrick, go on. Yeah, thank you. I was going to say, I think in a meeting it's somewhat different. I would agree with Carl that in a theater, yes, I'd want to know self-description would be good. In a meeting, I'm trying to solve a problem. So what an individual's looking like or whatever isn't as you know, isn't as important to me as we have a problem that we need to solve. And we need to get down to, to this and come up with a solution, a plan A, a plan yeah. A, a plan C. So academically, I would see less of a, a need perhaps for self-description. So I think that maybe what we're coming up to here might be situations in which you would see more self-description, which might be appropriate. I wouldn't find it useful at all in a lot of the meetings that, that I have, but I, I think what we have heard here today is important because there certainly are areas where it could be useful. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. I, I suppose I would counter by saying, if I was in a meeting, I would want to, I'd want to make sure that a, a, a diversity of opinions were being represented. And I might not necessarily know. I mean, if you're in a meeting with people that you've known for years and you know who's there, mm-hmm. yeah, th- then you can skip it. But if if so, you know, if I'm going into a place where I don't know people, I don't know who's in the room, I want to know, you know, what, if, is there anyone, you know, 
is age is there an age variation that might play you know am i am i talking to a lot of junior people or a lot of senior people um right. I, I, you know are, are there any dis- people with disabilities who who right. are, you know visible disabilities i want to know that information so but uh, yeah i totally agree if you're yeah, with your if you're important. in your your staff meeting with your colleagues that you that you know that you've known for ages the only thing i'd say is that um as gabe said dress is People, people decide what to wear for a reason. And okay. that is mm-hmm. yes. information that they are, they are choosing to communicate. So I would, like, I would also like to, to have that point. information. Could, could I throw yeah. in something here? I mean, one of the things that I think is so interesting, and this gets back to what I was saying about objectivity in a way, is what, when people are self-describing in meetings, they're telling you what they want you to see when you're getting audio description from someone else, an uninvolved third party, they're telling you what they see. Mm. Um, You know, if you see a dark skinned person in a meeting, you may not know, is that person African? Is that person African-American? Is that person Caribbean? You don't know anything about that person other than the color of their skin. If you're a, a sighted person. And yet in the descriptions going into meetings, people choose to give you extra information about themselves. Or I do think it's very interesting when I hear people describing their physical experience, you could have somebody describe um, what they're wearing as, you know, uh, hippie, funky, cool. And I've heard all of those terms used. And you could, (laughs) you could have somebody else sitting next to you looking at the same uh, meeting saying, Oh my God, that person looks like a, hot mess. You know, I mean, you're not, you're not, the information that you are getting is not the information that the sighted people at the meeting are getting. What you Uh, are getting is information provided to you by the person describing themselves. There's a huge difference. Uh, I want to give Hannah a chance to wrap up and then I want to uh, to follow up and and wrap up. And then I want to make sure we leave time for Joel, so Hannah, so, why don't you? Yeah, I mean, so just to just to, to finish, so we could say in then that self description is the verbal equivalent of the visual intentionality that someone has as they walk into a meeting to to show themselves. So we, as long as we recognise that uh, self description is not necessarily what this, what an, an outsider sees, but it's it's a kind of equivalent of the. Of the of the person's intent, then I think that that is quite an important um, nuance. Thank you, Joel. You're the um, you get to top this off. I am the whatever. Um, quickly, uh, Hannah, you you mentioned you had the phrase diversity of opinion. Um, what is it about a self description in a meeting that tells you anything about diversity of opinion? the opinions that are being expressed are what gives you diversity or not, whether they're black or they're white or they're wearing green or they're wearing blue. So that's one little response there. With respect to research, Carl, on uh, objectivity and subjectivity, uh, that there's a great deal of research uh, in those areas, going back to 1977 and my very dear friend, the late Gregory Fraser, was the first person to write uh, published research on audio description, and he talks at length about objectivity. But let me get um, to the, the, the point of, um, of this 
panel. Um, I'm Dr. Joel Snyder. I'm president of Audio Description Associates, LLC, based just outside Washington, Tacoma Park, Maryland. And I founded the ACB's Audio Description Project about 12 years ago. And I serve as its senior consultant. Uh, so by way of introduction, not self-description, but that's going to come later. By way of introduction, uh, I was one of the pioneers in the development of audio description in 1981, the world's first audio description program. Since that time, I've produced description for thousands of arts events, uh, theatrical presentations, dance, opera, feature films, national broadcast television, museums, and I've spoken on description or trained describers in 44 states and uh, over 60 countries now. I, my PhD is in the study of audio description, and most of my views are based on my reading of the research on the various issues, but perhaps primarily on my own practical experience over the last 41 years. So yeah, in keeping with the thrust of this panel, I'm a middle-aged white man with a receding hairline. Oh, all right, it has receded to the rear of my head, leaving a fringe a fringe of gray stretching around to my ears and my white and gray full beard, my beard, which covers a multitude of chins. And my virtual background is the two letters, A and D, of the audio description logo. Humor, that's something I'm going to come to. In a, in a, that was my feeble attempt at humor. But that's something that may help, I think, with respect to self-description. This is a surprisingly complex issue. You know, I train professional describers based on four fundamentals that I developed many years ago. One of them involves editing from what you see, selecting what you will describe based on the answer to a question that the describer poses to himself or herself. What is most critical to an understanding, he points to his head, and an appreciation, his hand is on his heart, of the image. Now, I think this applies to self-description in a meeting as well. Yes, for a person who has low vision, having descriptions of physical characteristics can certainly help them recall individuals, identify them on a second meeting, and it provides information about the individual that sighted people take in visually. When it's done by everyone at a meeting or a conference, it can provide a sense of the diversity or lack of diversity of those speaking, not their opinions but uh, diversity on that panel or in the room generally. But on the other hand, people who are blind um, or have a vision impairment, many people prefer not to have self-descriptions. And I say this, having had this discussion with a wide range of people who are blind or have low vision, some feel uncomfortable formulating a self-description. Carl mentioned this earlier, that it's awkward or unfair to expect people to describe themselves. And as Pat mentioned, uh, it takes time away from more meaningful information that can be exchanged, the point of the meeting. It, it can take up considerable time if 20 people say each take a minute to describe themselves during a one hour meeting. There's almost half your meeting. Further, an, an individual providing a self-description is invariably creating a subjective assessment. And here's where I totally agree with Nora. And Gabe pointed this out. The soul of audio description is objectivity. And yes, Hannah, there is no such thing as objectivity. The great diarist Anais Nin said, we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. True. But 
when you're acting as a describer, you strive for objectivity. That person crying is crying. Tears are streaming down their face, but they're not sad. Sad would be a subjective interpretation. They just won the lottery, right? So uh, uh, this fundamental principle, I think, is, is important. Objectivity, delivering a message that allows the listener to conjure his or her own interpretations, just like the person who's crying is not sad. So, so to what end does an individual provide a self-description? What's going on there? You know, in, in developing a professional description, a description that's most effective, that enhances rather than distracts or persuades, we try to discern the most critical images being conveyed, developing a sense for what the focus is in a play, a film, a visual art piece. But when a person self-describes, that person chooses descriptors based on what? You know, a, a sighted person can access a wide range of information. A sighted describer, though, to do effective description can never and should never, I maintain, attempt to put into spoken language all that can be seen. Renee and, and Gabe, I think you've made reference to wanting to know all that's there, but that's never possible. It's always going to be selective. Sure, we hear that a picture's worth a thousand words, but I've yet to meet a description user who wants or needs to hear a thousand words to describe an image. So I come back to asking what's most important to the meeting or the issue at hand. Do we describe gender and age and skin color, but, but, but not physical fitness, weight, skin condition? In one way of thinking, by doing so, we are elevating race, gender, and age and ignoring what sighted folks often notice beyond that, such as other physical elements, unusual or unconventional surroundings, clothing, blemishes, things that might be paramount to a sighted user, but the self-describer is pointedly avoiding in providing their own self-description. So self-description in, in a subjective sort of way cherry picks in a self-conscious manner what will be described. And I think that then creates a false sense of inclusion. If we're told someone is 50, is that a visual description? If they happen to look 30, what if they look 80? Is the color of one's hair important or, or only if it's green or purple? You know, similarly, should it be required that a meeting participant disclose their religion if it's apparent from visual indicators like a cross necklace or a Star of David? They may be wearing that, but maybe they don't want to be out front about it. And what about race? What, what language is most important? Are we pressuring people to disclose their race if it's not visually apparent. And race, of course, can't be seen. Indeed, if a person self-identifies as African-American, is that information actually part of what a sighted person has access to? It may be important to the individual, but is it what's apparent to the sighted person? We can't know race. Is a white South African who becomes a citizen of the U.S., an African-American? Hmm. I had that brought up to me when I taught description in South Africa for a month. It's perfectly acceptable to choose not to include an aspect of self-description. But at the same time, I fully recognize if skin 
color is not referenced by all, does white end up being the default? And that's surely not appropriate. And touching on what Gabe uh, brought up uh, so well, there, there is the consideration of disclosing pronouns used by an individual. Now, with respect to race and sexual preference, I am very aware and very sensitive to the desire to, even the need for the social good that is served by inclusion and representation in order to not to seem to erase people, as, as Hannah said. But you know, there are lots of ways to know a person. Uh, visual cues are one thing, and, and oftentimes that leads to judging a book by its cover. That's never so good, is it? But there's also sound, there's smell even as well. Maybe not taste and touch so much, I hope. Uh, but are these characteristics relevant in a given meeting? As I noted earlier, many would prefer to keep certain aspects of their selves private. If it's determined that certain characteristics should be shared by all in a meeting, well, some people then are being put in an awkward and uncomfortable position. Sure, I am he, him, his. But is it anyone else's business what my sexual proclivities involve? I don't think so. Keep in mind, audio describers describe, we don't explain. So, um, having said all that, it may, wrap it up, Joe. I am, I am. All right, thank you. <laughs> it may still be decided that all people in a meeting should provide a self description. And if that's so, as Hannah referenced, I believe she did, and I think she worked on a, a set of guidelines that are helpful that have been developed and recommended by the Vocalize group in, in the UK. I mentioned humor is a thing, uh, consider the description in advance, limit the detail you provide. This is all coming from the UK. Um, certain kinds of physical characteristics are important visual markers, perhaps on a video call, height is not visible, is it relevant? But knowing somebody's very tall, could be useful at an in-person conference. And then there's clothes and accessory. You know, sometimes a particularly loud shirt becomes a running joke at a meeting and, and you want the blind or visually impaired person at some point to be in on it. So that's my perspective. Thanks, Carl. Thank you. Did um, any of the other panelists want to make um, remarks based on Joe's presentation? Yeah, this is Renee. Go ahead. Hey, um, I listen to what you say, Joel, and listen to what Hannah said. And one thing I think that we that comes to mind for me is that self description is never going to be clinical. It's never going to be perfect. And I think back when I sit in a meeting and I say, they say, Renee, tell me something about yourself. We all know those people that gave way too much information when you ask them to just tell a little bit of background about themselves. And you know. It's not perfect, but it's information that people wanted for that meeting. And I do agree, Pat, every meeting, pe meetings with people that I know, I don't need to, for people I know, I don't need them to describe every single time we come to a meeting. But when I'm in with a new person, I want to know about that person. But I don't think we're going to ever, I like the idea of having guidelines, some framework for people to work around, but it's never going to be clinical because we're not all professionals and people in meetings they don't always follow the guidelines, unfortunately. But I still think it's important for me. And a time and a place for it and for individuals. Yeah. 
I don't think there's right. really a right or wrong answer here. Yeah. And I, and I just wanted to add uh, t- two quick things. Um, I loved uh, what Joel said at, at the closing, which is, uh, you know, sometimes we miss things uh, like, you know, there's a running joke or, you you know, you go into a meeting and you hear everyone say, oh, I love your hair. Oh, my God, your hair looks great. Oh, your hair. You know, and me as a blind person, I mean, I'm like, what's going on with her hair? Um, the other thing is um, with uh, regards to pronouns, I just wanted to clarify that, you know, pronouns are uh, regarding a person's sexual identity. Um, just by dis- disclosing your pronouns, you're just uh, letting people know what, wh- how to address you. Um, however, does, does, that does not disclose anything regarding your sexual orientation. So I just wanted to clarify that sexual identity is different to sexual orientation. All right, great. If the panelists are comfortable, I would like to. I just want to say thank you so much for this panel. It is so interesting. It's been so great. I love audio description and I'm always fighting for it. And um, uh, these are so good, like um, helping form and and helping write some audio description and, and learning all the things that went into it. And then being at meetings, I tend to agree with Gabe and with... I'm sorry, I missed her name. Renee. um, uh, Renee, I want to know. I want to know what people look like. Like, I didn't ask Gabe what he looked like because I I have a sighted partner. So I asked my sighted partner what Gabe looked like. I asked my partner what his partner looked like. So I didn't have to ask Gabe himself, but I'm lucky and I realize other people don't have that. So is it appropriate to say to someone, hey, can you tell me what you look like? Because I find when I ask someone to self-describe themselves, even in the entertainment industry, they, they're like, um, well, uh, you came to my concert. There's a poster. How do you not know what I look like? I'm like, well, I didn't ask anyone what you look like before we came. And you're the opening act. So I don't know anything about you. So they, they just think it's weird. So like, I agree with Gabe and other people that I want that information. So tell me a better way to ask that then. So it's not offensive. I just want to say, Janine, to begin with, uh, this is Gabe. I just want to say that, first of all, I really, really expect that Dan uh, told you that I'm devastatingly handsome. <laughs> but no, then, no, 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 you. So much. Oh, I agree. They can't be two of us. They can't be two of us. No, no, no. He's on my line. No, I think the guidelines or, um, uh, they're, 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 you know, just keep it as objective as possible. You know, don't, you know, just, just, I think, I think we all need a, 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 a training session with Joel in terms mm-hmm. of, of what is, what is information, you know, what is objective information and, and how to make sure that we go into, for example, I, I would be happy if there becomes a, that we get to a time in which we, um, we say, okay, self-description will involve uh, skin color, hair, you know, facial hair and something that you're wearing that, 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 that is really noticeable and that's it, you know, and be objective about it. Don't, don't put your, your own colors or your own, uh, or your own subjective views into things. Oh, I'm wearing a gorgeous, you know, <laughs> dress or a beautiful shirt, etc. I will say this. My impression of Joel changed now. I visualized him differently in, in my head. I never knew he had a beard. Oh, no, really? And I've known Joe for what, 10, 15, 20 years? I don't know. 
but I just never knew Joel had a beard. Uh, and what's interesting, Carl, is it's is it's coming off next week because I'm doing a film that requires me to be clean shaven. So, so have I, you? Am I, gonna, have, am I not going to be Joel anymore? I don't. So know. have I seen you without the beard? No. Okay. Anyway, um, Janine, thank you for your comment. Uh, Thanks, guys. Keep it up. Thanks, Janine. Susan is next. Hi. One of my concerns that I have regarding um, self-description is it's often used in the place of having real information, which is audio description. So in meetings, there are often times we're signaling that we're being inclusive. So we're having people describe themselves, but the very same meetings don't have PowerPoints that are described or provided information in accessible formats. And I think sometimes that we have situations where it's being used to signal we're great, we're inclusive, but it doesn't really give the information that is most relevant and that's the information shared in print, information shared uh, on a screen, information about body language to a speaker. For example, rolling the eyes was a great example, um, looking away. And I would also venture to say that people ask sighted people to be on camera because that keeps them from doing other things and attentive to the meeting. It's not so much the visual information but the need for people to make sure that the folks they're talking to are paying attention or at least faking it really well. <laughs> so, so my question to you is how do we get more audio description if people are feeling so great about themselves because they have visual description or visual, visual introductions? Can I come in and say some things? Susan, it's Hannah. It's Hannah speaking. I just wanted to say I, that is such an excellent point, Susan, about the lack of audio description in meetings um, and the, the the jarringness between the the inclusive beginning and then and then literally seconds later, someone will share their screen and forget to describe what's on the screen, and <laughs> and it's just like yeah, there's this kind of the irony kind of makes my head explode sometimes. Um, so I think we just need to keep pushing. And I, you know, just keep saying the same things over and over again. Please share your slides in advance. Please describe what's on the screen, right. you know, um, and just, and, you know, use, use the, 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 the gap between the self-description and the lack of access yeah. as, a, as a kind of reminder to people to, to, to audio describe. So, and, thanks. and Susan, yeah. I, I think your, your comments were fantastic with respect to signaling inclusion is it real inclusion or not? I'll tell you, I was on a board once where uh, certain people insisted that every meeting start with a credit to the Native Americans who once owned the land on which we were meeting. And that's okay. That's fine. But that's all it was. And I proposed that we start an initiative that involves Native Americans in the area in the work uh, that we're doing. And they didn't accept that. So they went on ahead with the, the, the signaling of inclusion at the beginning of each meeting. And I ended up leaving the board ultimately. I completely agree, Susan. That was an excellent so, point. Yeah. Do we, do we then say to people, don't describe yourself unless you're really committed to inclusion and are going to make sure that you're providing everything accessibly? I, I, I think that would be seen as hostile. I, um, 
but I don't know how. Well, accessibility wasn't passed with the ADA wasn't passed by handing out hugs. So, <laughs> no, and, and I would agree with it too. Come being in some of those meetings where they throw that PowerPoint up there that's all color coordinated and everything, mm-hmm. I will raise my hand and say, "Look, I can't see your PowerPoint. I can't. When you're screen sharing like this, you're either going to have to describe what we have there, and my staff will also mention that same thing because." You know, I I'm visually impaired, and so I find that it is a way for me to use my blindness as a way to make a point that your teams, uh, you know, your teams with Microsoft, your Zoom with in other platforms, WebEx doesn't allow me to have the same access as everybody else. So you have to either fix your product, or I'm going to have to have people describe it so I have access to the same information as everybody else. If I could add one more thing, I know I'm not mm-hmm. supposed to be speaking, but the one of the things that's never addressed or I've never heard addressed is how cult- culturally inappropriate it is to describe yourself for many cultures. And I think you all raised it, but coming from a Japanese culture, this is just so wrong. And it is so uncomfortable because you cannot... In the culture, it is so inappropriate to say anything positive about yourself. So the the description that I give is either going to be something that Joel has written and is accurate, or it's going to be something that's um, demeaning, because culturally, that's the only thing that's appropriate to do. So how do we get around the cultural aspects? Hey, so I I mean, not- can, can I yeah. just say, I, I think it is perfectly appropriate to say I'm not comfortable giving a description of myself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, uh, and to your earlier question of how do you bring up the fact that, you know, people are giving audio descriptions of themselves, patting themselves on the back and then presenting inaccessible content in that sort of round Robin of descriptive introductions at the beginning, you may want to say, I'm assuming that we're all doing these introductions and self-descriptions because we're recognizing the fact that there are people participating in this meeting who are blind or low vision. And so I hope that people will remember that throughout the meeting and appropriately describe whatever they're putting on the screen and use it as an opportunity to remind people, acknowledge that Mm -hmm. if the purpose is truly to accommodate people with disabilities, bring up the fact that by acknowledging this, I'm assuming this is a commitment that you're going to continue this access throughout the rest of the meeting. Do it across the board. Yeah, I got valuable input and insight. This was a fascinating topic. I feel like we could do this for hours. I think we opened up a lot of minds on both sides. And, <laughs> and I think I'm looking forward to seeing how this topic evolves as time goes on. And, and I'm hoping that the idea I gave to Professor Thompson, we see a paper soon. So thank you very much. <laughs> and I want Thanks, to turn Paul. it over to Trav, half of the American Council of, of the Blind and the Audio Description Project and all the panelists. We thank you for joining us and have a great rest of the convention.